Last Sunday, we wrapped up our study of the letter to the Philippians. It was a study that we had started back in May or June. Um, And what we're doing this morning is, because it is our community group vision service, we are going to look at a couple passages of Scripture that carry the theme of surprise community. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to start our next series that will take us up until Advent, and that will be a series on the Old Testament book of Proverbs. So we'll be thinking about what it means to live wisely in the world that God has made. But like I said this morning, the focus is on community, and more specifically, family. What it means that God makes us into a family. I want to read two passages of Scripture The first is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. And the second passage comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Both of these passages of Scripture are in the worship guide if you would like to follow along. The Apostle Paul writes, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. And now Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, Cause your word to come alive to us this morning. We pray that you would draw us into the story of Scripture. And with these two passages of Scripture in particular, we pray that you would remind us of what you have done for us through Jesus to make us your children. I pray that you would remind us of how you have called us together as your children to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in love. And also that you would remind us of how, as brothers and sisters, we are called to love the world around us. I recognize that there are some who are with us this morning that don't yet believe who Jesus claims to be. So I pray that you would be close to them as well. Help them to see the truth of of Scripture, the truth of who Jesus is. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Dahadi Lewis says this. Of all the word pictures and metaphors used to describe the church, one stands out above the rest, family. 
In fact, it is so much of the essence of the church that it cannot even properly be called a metaphor. Metaphors describe what the church is like or similar to. Light, flock, field, building. But family is not metaphorical. It is a literal description of the phenomena we know as church. The church is not like family. It is family. The church is family. We see that here in Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. Paul makes it clear that we weren't always considered part of God's family. You see that very early on in verse 3. He refers to a period of time in which we were children who were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And then later on in verse 7, at the beginning of that, he says, so you are no longer a slave. Scripture um, says that apart from God, we can be considered orphans or slaves. But something has happened in the life of a Christian. Something has happened in the life of one who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. And what has happened is that Jesus has broken through. Through faith, through uh, placing our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for us in his life, death, and resurrection, Scripture teaches us that we become a part of God's family. And so what that means is that we get to, we have the privilege of calling upon God as our Father. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, creates this intimacy between ourselves and our Father in heaven. We are no longer his enemies. We are not simply just his friends. We are now his children because of Jesus. Now, Paul, throughout these verses, refers to a son, right? And so some of you women here might be wondering, well, does this text apply to me? How do I fit into this? And there are, are times when I read a passage of Scripture um, that speaks specifically of brothers, for example, that we saw this often in Philippians. And when I would read the passage, I would say brothers and sisters because that was the intent of the passage. Here, I didn't do that, but I, it, it was intentional because Paul in his day was doing something intentional here. This passage was for the church. The letter to the Galatians was for the church of Galatia, men, women, and children. And what Paul is doing here is he's speaking of a son because a, a, a son would have received, the, this is the idea here, the inheritance of the father uh, that would not have applied to a daughter or a woman in Paul's day. But what he's doing here is he's applying this term, this concept of sonship to all who are in the church. And so that means not just men, but also women receive the inheritance of the kingdom, the inheritance of the Father. Now, if we call on God as our Father, we are his sons and daughters, that also means that we are brothers and sisters to each other. What we find in the New Testament, it's not only in the New Testament, it's throughout the whole witness of the biblical story, 
is that the gospel creates a family. The gospel creates a community. You know, you think back to the very beginning of the story. I mean, not the very, very beginning. The very beginning, God creates the world. And he eventually creates a a man and woman. And he calls them into relationship because it's not good for them to be alone. And so human beings are made to be social communal beings. But from there, we know that rebellion against God happens, and it brings uh, ruin upon the world. Not just the world in general, but on relationships in particular. And every single one of us, I'm sure, if we look back on the story of our lives, we could come up with a long list of all of our wounds, all of our hurts, all of our devastation that has occurred within the context of relationships. And it's understandable that the tendency, the pool, would be to distance ourselves from relationships, from community. Now, I see this a lot because as a pastor, I pastor people who have had really poor experiences with the church. This is, has been a theme for many of you over the years at City Church. Um, you have found your way back into the church, and typically it's through relationships. It's through somebody inviting you into community life or to a worship service on a Sunday morning. Um, and as I get to know you and I learn your story, it becomes clear to me that you have deep skepticism of the church. And typically, it's for very good reasons. Your reasons are legitimate. And what has to happen at that point is that we need to be re-churched. We go from being de-churched or unchurched to the need for being re-churched. And not re-churched according to the American vision of what church might be or whatever vision might be out there, but according to the biblical vision of what church is and how it is to Um, be played out in the world. And so I get it. There's this temptation within us to pull away from community, to pull away from relationships, but God has something better and bigger in mind. And so he calls this guy Abraham, going way back um, early on the story, Genesis 12, he calls him to himself. He saves Abraham. He rescues him. Abraham believes in in God's promise that he will one day send a rescuer into the world. Now, at this point, you may think to yourself, I can get on board with that. I'm, uh, I'm, track- I'm following with you. But from there, guess what God tells Abraham? He says, from you, I'm going to create a nation of people. I'm going to create a community. I'm going to create a family. And these people are going to learn to live together under my wise and gracious leadership. They're going to learn to love me. They're going to learn to love each other. And as a result, they're going to be my display people to the world. Now maybe I've lost you. You may have thought, all right, I'm okay with following Jesus individually, but it's the community part I'm not so sure about. But here in Galatians, Paul grounds us in this language of family, and we see it consistently throughout the New Testament. In fact, the the book of Acts, which we're going to be coming to that passage that is from Acts, 
Acts tends to use the word disciple to describe a Christian. But in the New Testament letters, there's a sh- there seems to be a shift to this language of family. And, and I think Dahadi Lewis, who I quote in the beginning, is so right that the church isn't like family. The church is intended to be family, God's family. And so the gospel creates community. It, it, it's what it does, all right? That's what happens. When the gospel takes root in the lives of people, when the gospel takes root in a place, that's what the gospel does. It brings people together. People who often have deep differences, people who are very much uh, unalike in a lot of ways, people who share different preferences. And sometimes, you know, this is what's always interesting to me. And this is, I struggle with this a lot as the pastor of this church, because we have all of that represented here, all of those things that I just mentioned. And sometimes, like, it's really challenging, and I find myself thinking, I just wish everybody would think alike. It would make my job a lot easier, but that would be really bad. That's not what God is doing. God has created us all different, but more importantly than that, that is how the gospel changes us. As we begin to rub shoulders with people who think differently than us, have different preferences, so on and so forth, it forces us, it it should force us deeper into life with Jesus. Because we realize, all right, if we're going to be brother and sister together, which Jesus requires of us, then we may have to find something else besides our preferences or our political views to bind us together. So how about if it be Jesus, right? That's God's intention, that we find our identity in Jesus, that we find our bond in Jesus. And this is nothing new. Jesus, when he came onto the scene, he called 12 disciples in particular. He called a lot of disciples, but 12 disciples in particular. And let me tell you, like if you do research um, and we pick up on some of these things in the New Testament Gospels, these disciples had incredibly varying views on politics and whatever else. I'll say it this way. If you, were, if you wanted to bring together a group of people who shared a common bond outside of Jesus, you would choose the people that Jesus chose. Because apart from Jesus, they had nothing in common. And you, you, get, um, you get a feel for this, again, at different places in the Gospels, where there's arguing that happens, where there's tension, conflict that happens. And Jesus has to insert himself into those situations and, in effect, remind them that he is the one who holds them together. We are family. And so we can think about it this way. Jesus didn't just simply die to save individuals. I mean, he most certainly did, but he also died to save a community, to create a community. And we're going to see this um, at the end of the sermon, that he had a very strategic design in all of this. One, he knows that it takes us in relationship with other people to grow us in the gospel, to change us, to rehumanize us, so to speak, to put us back together. We can't do that apart. I mean, that's what's interesting in Scripture. The, the grand project of God to remake us in our humanity, to look more like Jesus, it requires that we we, we uh, find our place in God's new humanity, the church. So that process of God 
rehumanizing us, remaking us into the image of Jesus, it requires that we be placed in the midst of other people because we're forced to, to grow. We're forced to be stretched and challenged in so many ways in community. But then the other piece of God's strategic design is that you, you see this throughout the Old Testament. God is wanting to create a display people for the world. Now, this display people fails um, time and time again. But this is God's design to call a people together who are bound together um, in Jesus so that they might reflect and display who Jesus is to others so that more people might come into the family. So the gospel creates family. What does this family look like? How do we live together? Well, this is where the Acts passage comes in to play. What are some of the things that you see the church, Jesus' family, doing? They're devoted to teaching. One way we can think about this is that they have a, a center of authority. And again, this is so important because the, the church brings together so many different people coming from different places. There, there has to be a, a center of authority. And Scripture, God's story, is our authority. It's, what bind, it's another thing that binds us Together, And so we find that these family members in the church uh, are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And then we see God um, showing up and doing incredible things in their midst. They're sharing their possessions together um, as those uh, meeting the needs of those who have needs. And then we see this dynamic of how they the way that we can describe it is that they're gathering together in a larger corporate sense in the temple, but then also maybe in a smaller scale at different times um, outside of the temple. And what is the end result of all of this? Day by day, God added to their number those who were being saved. But what we see here in these verses is love expressed. If you want to know what love looks like, Acts 42 through 47, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, captures it. The first century's community love for one another stemmed from their belief in the gospel. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. That is what gave life to their life together. And what we see them doing is reflecting the very love by which Jesus loved them. We see them reflecting that practically in and through their lives. Eugene Cho is a, a pastor, and um, he says this, In my opinion, one of the biggest challenges in our Western culture church model is that we have a hard time distinguishing between hosts and guests. In other words, as Christians in a consumption culture, we want guest privileges. He goes on to say, if you've been a follower of Jesus and you still want guest privileges, I would respectfully say, come on, man. We need to be hosts. There is a dramatic distinction between how guests and hosts engage. If I come to your house as a guest, he talks about, I expect you to be there, right? For starters, he expects the host to be there and not only expects them to be there, but to be there early in order to welcome him into their home. He says that a lot of Christians, when I say we want guest privileges, means we are uh, coming late, we're leaving early, we get what we want, and we move on to the next Sunday. 
This matters for discipleship and the health of the church. We need you. I think that this is so helpful. I love this, these words of guests and hosts. You know, we could find other words as well, um, contributor and consumer. But, but this is what we're always up against, especially as American Christians. We operate from a consumeristic mindset, and we bring that into the church, and we're always looking for our wants and needs filled. That's not the way the gospel gets lived out. The gospel gets lived out as you're seeking to contribute, as you're seeking to love your brothers and sisters what happens is you go deeper into the life of the gospel. So you end up growing. You could say that you end up receiving what you ultimately need and want, but it doesn't happen through the grid of a consumeristic mindset. It happens through the grid of a contributor mindset. It happens as we seek to be hosts, not simply guests. And this brings us back to the need to be rechurched. My experience has been when people come into the life of a church, they expect programs to meet all of the, the various needs that they might have. And some of those, pro, like I, I said this when I did the community group vision update, um, some of those programs are really good. We have programs. We will continue to have programs. But we want to avoid becoming a program-driven church where we play into that consumeristic mindset. What we are calling people into is discipleship, following Jesus, not simply trying to have all of our, our, our needs and our expectations met. That's, that's too easy. We're calling people into something much more difficult, I believe, and we need to be rechurched to understand that discipleship is not simply what happens on Sunday mornings. It's not simply what happens when we gather together for a couple hours um, for a community group meeting, but it happens throughout all of life as we're in community with one another. I want to, at this time, invite uh, Jim and Jana Leonard up. Uh, the Leonards um, have been hosting uh, the community group that I'm a part of uh, frequently over the last few months, and they're going to come and share about um, why they do that and why they believe it to be important. Thank you, guys. Two things that you might not find believable. Uh, I noticed the Acts 2, is it 46, plaque for the first time in their dining room or kitchen um, on Wednesday night. So that actually got me thinking, was one of the reasons that I chose the Acts 2 passage. The other thing that you might not find believable is that when I was on sabbatical last summer, one of the many books that I read was Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And just this past week, as I've been thinking about recommitting ourselves to community groups as a church, I pulled it back on my, put it off of my shelf onto a pile of community-related books um, so that factors prominently into as I'm rewriting um, training materials for our community group leaders and vision. So the Holy Spirit is at work, right? The Holy Spirit is, is active. I want to say something, a couple things, um, You'll notice here at City Church that we try to be intentional about using the language of connecting to a community group. I think by default, we tend to say, what community group are you in? Or I need to be, a part, I need to be in a community group. 
but we prefer to use the language of connected to. The reason for that is that we recognize that there are seasons of life in which it might be really difficult and at times even impossible for you to make it to the regular meeting of a community group. But that doesn't mean that you can't be connected to the life of a community group. Um, It's all the more reason that you need to be in that season of life. Um, You know, I was was thinking about this recently just as we have a a church with so many young kids. And young kids um, can sometimes, it, it can be difficult to, you know, get them out the doors of the house and then you're maybe staying up later that night. Um, you know, we've, us as parents, we've all dealt with these dynamics, and it is hard, but we, we can figure it out together. And I've been encouraging our community group leadership teams recently that, you know, really focus on trying to connect people into a community. Not simply, um, don't invite people into a meeting, invite them into community life. We want to create a a culture of discipleship, and we want to be creative in that. Maybe sometimes we need to go to the people who can't always come to our house for a regular meeting. I want to invite uh, Nate and Jess Singer up now to share a little bit about their uh, experience in community group. I want to draw your attention as we close again, to the very end of Acts 2.47. We're at the beginning of verse 47 even. They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The gospel creates a family. In that family, we learn to love one another, but we also get to be, as I've been referring to, a display people to the world on behalf of Jesus. Finding favor with all the people. Day by day, the Lord added to their number being saved. This is the fruit of gospel community. community. This is the fruit of Jesus-centered life together. Uh, Recently, so we have two community groups in this neighborhood. Um, Those are the two groups that are going to be merging in the beginning of November. Um, You know, I've shared this from time to time. Because I'm the pastor of this church, I tend to be the recipient of much of the praise that is given to our church. Um, And and sometimes it's directed to me personally, and I have to say, well, that that wasn't me. That was, um, you know, this group of people from our church. But this has been a a pattern that I've noticed where people will say to me, you know, I I keep um, encountering or meeting these people who are from your church, and they all seem to be really invested in making the community a better place. Uh, very recently, just last week, um, we, I received a text. We have a, a neighbor who recently injured himself. It was an, he tore his Achilles. I did that four years ago, so it was an injury I'm able to relate to. And we had um, two uh, different groups of people or two different individuals from our church who created sign-up lists in order to meet the needs of this family as this neighbor recovers from his injury. And so just last week, he texted me and said, thank you for all you're doing for my family. I'm not doing anything. I I need to sign up on those lists because I haven't even signed up yet, but this is other people from our church. But it's the fruit. It's the overflow of Jesus-centered community. 
when we really believe that we get to be the children of God because of what Jesus has done for us, and we have the opportunity to love one another, if we are doing life with our neighbors, they see this, and it's attractive. What did Jesus teach? How would the world know that the Father is really the Father? By how his children, the disciples, love one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that even in this moment, we can call you our Father in heaven because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I pray that you would deepen our intimacy with you. I pray that you would deepen our intimacy with one another, empower us to love each other well. And we pray that our neighborhoods, our neighbors, the world around us would see and that they would be attracted to you and that they would come to know you as Father as well. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.